Trout's ready. 3-2. He struck him out! Otani strikes out Trout, and Japan's back on top of the baseball world. Well, folks, this was one of the most exciting games me, Nate, and Isaac have ever seen. Probably better than some World Series games, to be quite honest with you. The Japan versus USA game on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock to round out the World Baseball Classic. Boy, was it a doozy. The whole world was watching. Angel against Angel. Shohei Otani versus Mike Trout. Two of the game's best. But guys, before we get into all the drama and everything that happened in the championship game of the World Baseball Classic and... What certain items of Trey Turner's that went to the Hall of Fame? What items of Japan went to the Hall of Fame? A lot of great opportunities, great experiences for not only the Japan team, but for the USA team. But guys, before we get going, Nate, will you plug our socials and, and how are we doing today? Oh, I'm not doing too bad, but so give us a follow on our Twitter. That is the Press Box SP. That is the Press Box SP. And then go over to our Instagram and give, give us a follow over there. That's the Press Box Pod. That is the Press Box Pod. And then you can reach us to at our email, the Press Box Podcast at yahoo.com. Feel free to email us. And Isaac, let's go over to you. How are you doing today? I know you've had late couple nights doing basketball, intramural basketball still going on. Is that almost over? How are things going? And how's your spring break, man? Yeah, the playoffs are about to start, so we're hyped for that. Spring break was nice and restful. I'm feeling good today, boys. It's supposed to be 80 degrees. It's gonna, it's a beautiful day in Lynchburg. It's a beautiful day indeed, and let me tell you, there's a lot to diagnose and digest this morning. But folks, we'll start. I mean, you heard the highlight first. A lot of things going on with the World Baseball Classic. And folks, I tell you, it was a long six years that we waited the last World Baseball Classic was in 2017. The next one was supposed to be in 2021. But as we know, because of COVID and everything going on during that time, we had to wait until 2023. But boy, guys, can we all agree that it was worth the wait? I mean, come on. This was probably one of my favorite World Baseball Classics I've ever watched. And it's only the fifth one. And I just think they're going to get better and better because more Major League Baseball players are playing for their countries and representing their countries and putting on those jerseys and going out and playing with their brothers. Yep. Now, guys, I have a couple questions and things to ask you. But before we get into that, I don't know if you guys have ever seen High Heat on MLB Network. I don't know if you know a guy by the name of Mad Dog Russo. Well, he joined First Take with Stephen A. Smith and I don't know the woman's name that leads the show and like talks about the topics. Oh. But Mad Dog yeah. probably made one of the worst, yes, folks, the worst takes I've ever heard about this Shohei Otani versus Mike Trout matchup that everybody in the baseball world wanted to see. So, folks, we have that take. It's about a minute and a half long here this morning for you guys. And then we'll dive deep into all the questions or most questions that people are asking about this matchup. And if we'll see something like it again. So why don't you guys take a listen real quick. Dog, how special was that final Can I throw cold water on this, please? Stevie, can I throw what? a little cold water on this? May oh, I? Oh, Lord. I mean, I don't really want can you I? to, but you can. Go ahead. Right, listen. Go ahead. I'll follow Otani, up. Go ahead. Otani's great. Did a great job. Phenomenal. Hits. Phenomenal. Comes on. Uh, so let's leave him. Can I leave him alone and put him on the side for a second? We're going to make this out to be an epic at bat. Really? 
What is Gibson and Eckersley then in the World Series in game one when Gibson hobbled around the bases and hit the home run against Eckersley, Dodgers A's in 88, one of the great, great home runs in the history of baseball? World Series. Absolutely. Okay, well, well, but hold it now. Did you see the headlines today? Epic at bat. Incredible moment. What? Why? Because they're teammates? I mean, and Trout does nothing but strike out. Trout oh struck out twice in the game. He strikes out. You know, everybody talks to me about Trout and DiMaggio. I mean, Trout strikes out 175 times a year. Plus the fact. Plus, are you looking at me? Look at me. Look at me. Don't look at the ground. Look at me. Plus the fact it was two out, nobody on. The game was awful. Mm. That game was a bad game. I was bored stiff. It was two outs, nobody on. And the game was, it wasn't like the bases were loaded. It wasn't like he was the, he was the winning run at the plate. It wasn't like he fouled any off pitches. Thanks for watching ESPN on YouTube. For live streaming sports. And folks, when I heard this yesterday, I was really confused because he said a couple words there. He said incredible at bat, right? I mean, it was not it was a incredible at bat. You know, these guys are both teammates. Mike Trout's the center fielder on the Angels. Shohei Otani, a two-way player that sometimes plays the outfield, but the majority of the time he's a designated hitter. But I actually have a literally a stat right in front of me right now from Codify Baseball on Twitter that talks of just it just proves that Mike Trout does not strike out a lot. All right? So... If you guys aren't impressed with this stat, you should be, okay? Mike Trout has had three swinging strikes in only 24 of his 6,174 career MLB plate appearances. That's outstanding. That's that's really crazy. Yeah. And for Mad Dog to say that that was one of the most boring games of his life, I mean, yeah, the USA didn't hit. The pitching for the USA was not great. The starting, I mean, the starting pitching really for the entire thing for the United States was not great. You know, I mean, they didn't have any big names on that starting staff. And, no. You know, I mean, I thought a 3-2 to two ball game ending in a one-run loss against a Japan team that's known to hit, and they've been known to hit in the tournament, I think that was fine. So I don't really agree with that take from Mad Dog. I know everybody in the entire world that enjoys watching baseball wanted to see that at bat happen. Well, well, here's the thing, though, with that, Riley. I gotta kinda... He does bring a good point, though, here to the table. It was one of Mike Trout's less qualitable at-bats. The ideology behind that at-bat was really there. Teammate versus teammate. Veteran versus rookie. Young guy. Whatever. But the quality at-bat wasn't there. It I disagree. Wasn't, I disagree. Uh, he worked it to a 3-2 count. He struck out swinging on a 3-2 count. He he saw in, in 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 the pitch he struck out on, the slider started down the middle and went all the way to the, to the outside corner. And I read the other day it had 18 inches of movement. I don't know about you guys, but if, I can't hit that. <laughs> if you guys are listening and you guys have never played baseball, that is very tough to hit. A pitch that moves 18 inches Let's just put this in perspective. Home plate is about what, Isaac? You think like 16. 12, 15, 16 inches across? Yeah. I mean, that, that, that pitch moved a lot. And, and, and the fact that a lot of people are taking Mike Trout's one at bat against Shohei Otani and saying, oh, he struck out, he sucks, oh, I'm he's not washed saying, up. Well, here's the thing. I'm not that's, saying he sucks, that's, though. That's, that's not a great... I'm not saying uh, he sucks. I, I, I'm not saying you're saying that. But there's a lot of articles out there that are saying Mike Trout... 
is becoming washed up. And they're saying it because he struck out against Shohei Otani. Oh, who, by the way, just throws 102 miles an hour. I mean, come on, man. Well, that's you get in the box and I, go face that. That's... I think I'm sorry. I think Mad Dog is missing the point here. It's bigger than baseball. This is Japan versus USA. These are two countries bringing their best out to play each other. And I think if the roles were reversed and Trout takes Otani deep, some people would be calling that the greatest at bat of all time. It would have been. Yeah. Would have tied it up. Yeah. And so why know, can't we give Otani the credit where credits due for coming in? I mean, arguably the best hitter in all of baseball is at the plate. And has the track record, veteran guy, 6,000 plate appearances. And Otani gives him his best to the best hitter of the world and strikes him out. I think that's a very big deal on the biggest stage. Oh, without a doubt. But the one thing with Mike Trout, though, that bat out of bat, the I, like I said, the ideology was there for it. It had the buildup for it. But Mike Trout did not prevail on that. If he would have hit it out, that would have been probably one of the best at-bats ever in history. Because as an American, that would have tied up the game. As an American, you feel passionate about that. I felt passionate about it. USA behind by one in the last inning. And it was like Mike Trout, the best player in baseball right now, is up at bat and he can change the whole thing with one pitch. Yeah. I also think that if Mookie Betts maybe didn't ground into a double play the at bat before, maybe that changes his whole approach and his whole idea behind facing Shohei Otani. It could have resulted in something else. But at the end of the day, Mookie Betts grounded into a double play. But guys, I got a question. You know, everybody wants to harp on this at bat between Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. But what was wrong with the USA team? Because at the end of the day, it should not have come down to that at bat between Mike Trout and Shohei Otani for the USA to tie the game. There are numerous op- they had nine runners left on base. Everyone says that the pitching sucked heading in, but the hitting didn't show up either. You know, because they left nine guys on base. What was the real issue for the USA team? Was it the chemistry of the team together? Was it something else? Because at the end of the day, some of these guys, you know have known each other for a very long time. Yeah. You know, your Pete Alonzo's, your Mike Trout's, your Mookie, like all these guys have been in the league for such a long time. They have the all-star game together. They have the home run derby together. They more than likely hang out together in the off season. Like what was the big issue for the United States of America in this game? And I'll start with you, Isaac. Yeah. I mean, we got to look at it, guys. We still made the championship. Like we got through, we, dominated our pool, got through to the championship. So this was a very good USA team. I think it does come down to pitching. Um, I just think Adam Wainwright, uh, like a 40-some-year-old Adam Wainwright, as one of your best pitchers, starting pitchers on your staff, just isn't going to cut it on that stage. And I think that was our biggest issue. Yeah. I agree, and Nate, I'll, I'll get over to you, to you in a second. And honestly, watching Adam Wainwright in the World Baseball Classic pitching, I mean, that guy has definitely taken a toll. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy's fastball is only sitting consistently at 87 miles an hour. I mean, this is a guy that used to throw, you know, 90 to 93, good off speed, and now we're just seeing this guy get hit around by by some of the pool play teams. And... I don't. I wouldn't say that I'm concerned about him going into pool play, but I'm definitely not like really excited to see what he's going to do because he also lost his counterpart Yadier Molina. Yeah. He's going to have a completely different catcher catching for him, so that might change things up a little bit. But Nate, real quick, I asked Isaac what went wrong for the USA. Nate, what went right for the Japanese? Was it their lengthy quality at bats that they always take? Was it their dominant pitching? 
Was it just that they had a really good chemistry because those guys have played together for a very long time from a young age? What went right for this Japanese team? For me, it's really the dynamics that they play. And I mean, the Japanese, they've been known to dominate in the World Baseball Classic. They've won three out of the last five. And it's just the way they play. Everything overall there is there. The pitching, the batting. But what went wrong for the U.S.? Was they just missing the breaks? Jap- that game was fairly even throughout the entire game. It was close. But I think the Japanese had the edge. They just did because, I mean, like you said, team chemistry. They played around each other for a while. These other, A lot of these other guys, they just go off and play on their own team for 162 games in a season. That's just the way it goes. And if, you don't, if you're competing against each other for the entire year, you're not going to have a good chemistry. Which I think it's hard to get within what? How long they practiced before? Wasn't it a couple months? I mean, I I, I think the weeks the, the Japanese practice a little bit longer. Oh, yeah. As we know, you know, most guys from the USA team were at spring training for the first couple, you know, for the first week or so. And Mark DeRosa said his his team, you know, got together two and a half weeks. Yeah. Pretty much before, which you know is not that long of a time to really get get a game plan together no. and all that sort of thing. But Nate, also, you know, a big deal is that the United States didn't jump on the Japanese starting pitcher. I, I didn't think no. their starting pitcher was that good. No, I mean, he was he was a little lefty. He was literally five eight five nine. He threw like ninety three to ninety four. Decent changeup, decent off speed. But I thought that the United States were going to jump on him because they had been seeing not a lot of lefties per se, but they had not been seeing a lot of great quality pitching. So in my mind, I thought, oh. The United States are going to be able to jump on this guy early. We're going to be able to score some runs. And now Trey Turner did. But Trey Turner has been the big story for the United States. Without yeah. Trey Turner, we don't make it there. No. And I, I'm going to say that right now. Yeah, without that's... Trey Turner, we do not make the World Baseball Classic Championship no. game. And speaking of you know, guys playing well, the MVP of the entire World Baseball Classic was Shohei Otani. But guys, I have three names in mind that it could have been. Do not read mine, please, because I'm going to give mine later. Obviously, Trey Turner is another guy that all three of us, that's a name that pops into our head. But are there any other names that pop into your head that if they made the championship game and won, who are some guys that you think could have also been named MVP? Well, looking at it, if it would have happened, Mike Trout would have been. If he would have hit that home run, if he would have hit a home run in that AB, he would have been MVP without a doubt. That's my opinion on that. I agree, but I think if you look at the overall tournament, Mike Trout was 2-for-10 in the big situations. Yeah, Trey Turner, four home runs in the past three games, counting the championship game. So if USA would have won it, you so think So if Trey. USA would have won it, it would have undoubtedly been Trey, have been Trey Turner. Yeah. Isaac, what about you? I'm just looking at the stats right now, and Randy Arizarena tore it up, batted 450. A bomb, nine RBIs for Team Mexico, and look. Just looking at that, just looking at the stats, like nobody really comes comes close and played that many games as he did, because he played in six games. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, in, in Mexico played Japan in a tight game too. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I, I tip my cap to that team. Randy Rosarena had a great robbed home run in left field in that game. That was an iconic moment of the World Baseball Classic that I will never forget. And Randy Rosarena was Mr. Clutch for Team Mexico. That was the name I was going to say. But another name I have is from Team Japan, Mazataka Yoshida, who is on the Boston Red Sox. Yep. 
He led all players in the World Baseball Classic with 13 RBIs for the tournament as a whole. He had a quiet 13 RBIs because I had no idea this guy had that many RBIs, to be quite honest with you. And also another stat about Trey Turner. We all know he led the field with five home runs. And he is now tied with Lee Seung Yoop. He clobbered five home runs in seven games back in the 2006 World Baseball Classic. And another stat about Trey Turner, too. He had the second multi-home run game in Team USA World Baseball Classic history, joining only, guess who, Ken Griffey Jr., the hitting coach. He did this on March 10th, 2006. So I think that was a really, really, really big deal, not only for Trey Turner, but for Ken Griffey Jr. to be a part of that team and see it right with his own eyes. I thought that was an awesome, awesome idea. And folks, just a couple other things here. Trey Turner's spikes in one of his batting gloves from the World Baseball Classic are going to the Baseball Hall of Fame. I think that's awesome. Uh, Japan has a hat, a baseball helmet, two jerseys, I believe, and one baseball glove going to the Hall of Fame. You know, they won the World Baseball Classic. It's their third World Baseball Classic win out of five World Baseball Classics. But the, the, the last main thing I want to harp on is... How many people watched this World Baseball Classic and what Otani said at the beginning of the game that really gave Team Japan the drive to win? And folks, I will start with the amount of fans that were at the World Baseball Classic for 15 games. So for 15 games that happened in Miami, there were 475,269 people at those 15 games. And just at the World Baseball Classic final alone, there was 36,098. And guys, for the 2022 Marlins attendance number, there were 907,487 people. So in 15 games for the World Baseball Classic, they covered over 50% of the Marlins' attendance last season. And as a Marlins fan, that's a joke. Like, we do these World Baseball Classics for a reason, to get the Latino community to come to the games. Like, you know, we had Puerto Rico playing there, Venezuela playing there, Dominican play. Like, we had so many different teams playing there, and we just try to get the people from those neighborhoods down there in Broward County to come to the games in Hialeah, Florida, and all that stuff, because it's all so close together down there. We're just trying to get them to go to the games. And the, the, the issue with the Marlins is translating that to the regular season. Yeah. And I thought something else that was interesting is how many people from Japan watched the championship game on their TV back home. 97.4% of TVs in Japan were tuned in to watch Shohei Otani strike out Mike Trout to end the World Baseball Classic. 97.4%. Insane numbers. I can tell you 2026 cannot come soon enough. But folks, to round out this segment, Shohei Otani's pregame speech not only inspired me, but it, it, it inspired all of his teammates on Team Japan to play well. And this is what he said. He said, Let's stop admiring them, meaning the United States of America's World Baseball Classic team. If you admire them, you can't surpass them. We came here to surpass them, to reach the top. For one day, let's throw away our admiration for them and just think about winning. Nate and Isaac, any final words about this amazing, fantastic World Baseball Classic that I want to start again right now 
because it was just so fun watching it. I even watched some of the games that were happening in Taiwan and Tokyo. Those were just as good. Yeah. But guys, any any final words about the World of Baseball Classic, Shohei Otani, Mike Trout matchup, anything before we had to before we move on? This is what I'm gonna say. Looking forward, I wanna see Team USA have a bounce back and get back to where they were in twenty seventeen. I think this was a great world baseball classic, but I think it could be even better with red, white, and blue on top. Yeah. I'm I'm American through and through, but I wanna take my time to give credit to Team Japan. Um for pulling out the win because um, I don't want the attention that that at bat getting to overshadow what they were able to do. Yeah, I would definitely agree with both of you there. Um, and and the fact of the matter is is USA has so many more players we could have played. Yeah, we could have utilized them so much better. I mean, but at the end of the day, it's the fact – of do these players want to represent their country in the World Baseball Classic. That's always a big thing. But, folks, when we come back, we're going to break down NCAA Men's Division One Hockey Nationals. We're going to recap the Liberty Hockey Men's D1 and Women's D1 Nationals. Did the women's team make a five-peat? Did they win five in a row? How far did the men's team for Liberty make it? And who do we think is the team that's going to take the NCAA men's division one hockey nationals outrightly folks. You're going to hear all of that a lot more when we return. Don't go away folks. You're listening to the press box right here on 90.9 the light. Well, I tell you what, Nate, we are really welcoming, not necessarily to the jungle, but we're welcoming in the Men's Division One Hockey Nationals, NCAA. And I am very excited for this. Michigan is a great team. I don't know if they're, you know, picked to win it, but, I mean, they're a good hockey team. A lot of good hockey going on here. A lot of teams in this tournament that are deserving of it, just like teams that are in the ACHA that just ended I believe it was Tuesday night between yep. Adrian College and Minot State. Minot State got the win, one to nothing over Adrian. It was really a game that you sat on the edge of your seat for the entire thing. I know I was keeping up with the um, different things on Twitter from ACHA Men's Division One Hockey, the different notifications and things on my phone. Couldn't find the word there for a minute. But Nate, looking at this bracket, I believe it was picked last Sunday night. Yep. Um, what are some big games that we can kind of pay attention to in this bracket and follow along? Um, and who are some teams that are, I don't know if they're guaranteed to make the Frozen Four, but they're definitely some teams that we need to keep an eye on throughout this tournament. Okay, first f- four of the teams that you want to keep an eye out on it throughout this tournament, you have number four, University of Denver. They won it last year. They're a very predominant team. They'll be playing Cornell, which I'll get into here in a second. You have number three, Michigan, in Ann Arbor. They're playing Colgate College. You Michigan boys. Michigan don't go blue. But that's a very predominant team you want to look out for. They won the Big Ten tournament. They have a lot of momentum. Then you have number two, Quinnipiac, playing Merrimack, which I think that's that's going to be one of the best games in this first round here. But I think Quinnipiac definitely has the good dynamics on the team that we can definitely see coming. And then you have number one, Minnesota, playing Kangas. That's going to be a very good team game. Minnesota is a very predominant team just overall. They dominate. But some of the 
two games that I want to kind of zoom in on is number two, Quinnipiac and Merrimack. They're both really good. Merrimack's pretty predominant in the American East Hockey Association. Quinnipiac, they're 34-3. and three. And just a couple of guys that you want to look out for. You have number 11, Colin Graff. He leads the team in points total. He's a forward. He has 20 goals and 35 assists. Definitely a dynamic guy that can get the puck to you and get you open looks at the net. And then you can look at number 10, Ethan DeJong. He he is... He, uh... He's second on the team with 37 points, his 18 goals, 19 assists. He's definitely a dynamic guy. He can play the puck, give you the passes. And then their goalie, he's probably one of the best right now in the entire NCAA. He's definitely up there. Yanov Perez. He's a 1.52 goals allowed average, which is very good for NCAA. And his save percentage is 929, which is also very good. And Nate... You have the time on here. It's 5.30. Is that game going to be tonight for folks to yes. watch? Tonight at 5.30? Friday, Friday, excuse Friday, me. Friday, Friday at 5.30. On so, ESPN News. Yeah, so Quinnipiac, 30 wins, 4 losses, 3 overtime losses. You said Colin Graff, the 20 goals, 35 assists, 55 points. I mean, that's outstanding. I don't want to say that's Matthew Kachuk-like or Connor McDavid-like, but let me tell you, this kid seems like he's a pretty darn good hockey player. And then... Nate, you know, you, you, you talked a little about Ethan DeJong, you know, 18 goals, 19 assists, 37 points. You know, you you put him on here because he's second in terms of points, but what does he do for the team? Is he a leader? Is he a leader in the locker room? What is the biggest thing that Ethan DeJong brings to this Quinnipiac team that other teams would want? What's, what's the little character trait or accolade that this guy brings to this team? I definitely think he's a team leader because – Looking at his stats, he's a very overall player. He's giving other guys looks, but he's also getting his looks. He's a very he's a very sharing player. He doesn't force stuff, which that's what you want out of a teammate, especially on the ice, especially when you're looking to make a run. You want guys that are overall dynamics. They're giving the pucks when necessary. They're not forcing shots. They're not just throwing it deep and having a turnover on possession. But we can also look at Merrimack here. Merrimack might not be ranked in this tournament, but I definitely think they're a team to look out for. One of the guys on their team is number 19, Alex Jeffries. He's just more as dynamic, if not better, than Ethan DeJong. He has 14 goals and 27 assists for 41 points. That's one of those guys that you want to look out for because He'll, he'll score on you, but he'll also be able to pass it and give guys looks. But one of the guys that I really like is their goalie, Zachary Borgiel. He has a little bit higher goal average than Quinnipiac's, but it's a 1.97. That's something that, especially being an unranked team in this tournament coming in, well, they're not unranked nationally, but coming into this tournament unranked, definitely one of those guys that you want to look out for. Now, kind of moving on into this tournament, number four, Denver versus Cornell. That game is tonight. I'm really excited about this one because Denver, they're looking for a repeat from last season. And Cornell, they play some really good Ivy League hockey. They're very competitive. One of the games that Cornell I liked is Cornell and Harvard, which Harvard's in this tournament too. It's just good hockey overall. And one of the guys that I really want to zoom in on for Denver is number 13, Masmo Rizzo. Excuse that if I pronounced that wrong. Masimo or Masimo. Mazimo Rizzo. Mazimo Rizzo. 17 goals, 29 assists for a total of 46 points. That is pretty solid. But one thing that I'm kind of surprised about is their goalie. 
His name is Magnus Krona. He's a 2.19 goals goals allowed average. I just don't know how I feel about that. You know, coming into these games, you don't want to have three goal games. This is every single game here is going to be close when it comes down to it. But I don't think these games are going to be high scoring, and we cannot. He cannot have some of these games are just going to be one nothing games. I guarantee it. Goalies are going to have shutouts. They're going to come into this. But well, I also think that the big reason why Magnus Krona probably just has a little over two goals allowed average is, I mean, Denver's 39, so their defense has to be pretty incredible. Yeah. So they're probably they're getting the passing lanes, getting in the shooting lanes, doing everything they need to do to keep the puck out of the crease to make Krona's job better. And maybe it's just the fact that he just doesn't see a whole lot of pucks game in and game out. And, you know, pucks just skip by him because yeah. he's not used to – you know, seen a lot of pucks come at him. It's kind of like the Minot State of the ACHA. Minot State always in their offensive zone against Liberty in the semifinals, which we'll get to later. They had yep. 64 shots on net to Liberty's 28. So Jake Anthony didn't have to see a whole lot of pucks, but still two got past him just because he's not used to seeing a ton of pucks. But that's yeah. kind of just an inference. I don't really watch Denver hockey. I, I watch Liberty Hockey and my Florida Panthers, but I don't watch a ton of NCAA. So that that, that, that might be the recipe for why he has such a whole uh, a whole a high goals allowed average. Yeah. But looking at Cornell though, they're twenty nine and two. I wouldn't put this team under, but I definitely think they could be a threat. One of the things is I wanna zoom in on here is Gabriel Seeger. He's a captain, number 16 for Cornell. He's a very elite player. Seven goals, 22 assists, 29 points. Not as high, but definitely one of those guys to look out for. And their goalie, Ian Shane, 1.97 goals allowed average. Number 30, he's in the crease. He's a very predominant player. He's definitely one of those guys that can get the win for you. And I think Cornell is one of the – I wouldn't say one of the most – likely to win it but i think they definitely has a good chance especially coming in as an underseed and just looking at the overall bracket my two teams that i really think are going to win it all it's either going to be denver with a repeat or quinnipac because i quinnipac hockey is very predominant i know i just listed the four and two seed but that's just how i feel i don't think minnesota has enough to get it done so you're so you're saying are you saying that all the four teams that are ranked in the bracket will be in the Frozen Four? Or are you saying that Minnesota is the team that will probably not make it? I don't think Minnesota will make it. I think I think if... Let's see. Let's look at this tournament. But you don't think they get out in the first round of Canisius, do you? I mean, Canisius is 2018-3, and, and Minnesota is the number one ranked team right now. I've watched Canisius play. It wouldn't surprise me. Really? Okay. I mean, at the end of the day, it is hockey. But, folks, we have some more hockey to move on to, specifically Liberty Hockey, their men's Division One and women's Division One team. Isaac, I don't know if you watched any of these games or kept up with any of them, but, I mean, both teams went very far. The women's team went as far as the national championship. They do year in and year out. And the men's team went to the semifinals for – their third time in 16 seasons, and this is the second time they've done it in three years. But, Isaac, were you able to watch anything? Were you able to keep up with notifications from Twitter? Were you able to just keep yourself up to date on all things Liberty Hockey over this Nationals run for each team? Yeah, I kept up with the women's team because I was interested to see if um, 
they could pull out the championship. So I was really hyped when I heard that they did. Yeah, it was definitely awesome. And we'll talk about the women's team first, and then we'll get to the men's. But, Nate, me and you – actually, no. I was going to say me and you watched it together, but we didn't. I, I, I watched it in Steve's office because he got the hockey TV link and all that stuff. So we were able to watch it. And I can, you know, confidently say, you know, women's D1 hockey played a phenomenal game. Real deal. A 3-2 to two win over the Minot State Beavers, who were ranked number three heading into this tournament. The number one Liberty Flames pull off the upset. Well, not the upset. <laughs> if Minot State pulled it off, it would have been an upset. <laughs> Sorry, folks. But Liberty pulled off the five-peat. They are five-time national champions. Shout-out to Coach Lowe's and all the seniors on that team because those seniors have been there for a very long time, some of them even from the beginning, and they've won all five, and that's that would be pretty phenomenal. Madison Glenn, the MVP running the show, I believe she was not only the MVP of the championship, but of like the entire A-Sun tournament. She had a natural hat trick. And for those of you who don't know what that is, Nate, I'm not throwing it over to you because I don't know what it is, but I would like you to explain to everybody, what is a natural hat trick? Okay, so a natural hat, hat trick, which means you score back-to-back-to-back goals. You score three goals in a row without anybody scoring in between you. On on your team, not the, not the other team. Uh, oh, both. T- yes. Okay. Like you just go back to back to back to back. Okay. Nobody scores in between you. Well, it wouldn't it, it wouldn't be a natural hat trick because Minot State scored one in between, I thought. No. They scored one in the first period and then one in the third after Madison Glenn's. Right. Okay. Okay. And Madison Glenn finished with five goals, ten assists, and fifteen points on the year. And I mean that's it's really it. It's just it. I mean, that's really it for Liberty Women's. I mean, Madison Glenn, I mean, she was the show. She stepped up. And actually, that's not it because the women's hockey team might not even be here without some key players in the Adrian game. They were down 4-2 to two in the sec- after the second period had ended. Haley Battles and Yannick Truder both score in the third period as the tie game. Mind you, Alexander Keith has been subbed out for Amanda Story, which is a great move by Coach Lowe's. It was it just wasn't Alexander Keith's night in between the pipes. So he puts in the veteran, the junior, and Amanda Story. She didn't allow a single goal. And in overtime, oh, the name escapes me. No, I'm sorry. It was Shelby Bradford and Haley Battles that scored two goals in the game. It was Yannick Truder that sent us home happy, and we won 5-4 to four in OT to even make it here, yeah. which was phenomenal. So, folks, this Liberty Flames team earned it, and I wouldn't say that teams are starting to figure them out, but Adrian College and Minot State, they're going to be competitive with Liberty for a lot yep. longer because Minot State has a really good goalie. Her last name is literally Beaver, just spelt differently. And Minot State's mascot is a beaver, so how funny is that? Haley Beaver. Um, but, folks, let's move on to the men's team because the men's team had a phenomenal Nationals run. They opened up playing Pitt. They are able to take care of business. They won that one 7-2. Then they played UNLV. They took care of them. They won 3-1. to one. Matt Bartell scored a goal against Pitt and a goal against UNLV. Big-time player in that game. DJ Schwanke hit the empty net goal to send us on to the semis against Minot State against those UNLV skating Rebels. And the men's team, I mean, they went down with a fight, guys. Yeah. They... We're up 2-0 on Minot State. Minot State climbed back into the game. They tied it 2-2. We went to OT. Yes, I'm going to be salty. The refs missed a couple calls. And 
the Liberty men's hockey team fell in overtime fashion. And if a couple of those penalties go their way, maybe it could have been a different game. Maybe the Flames could have been the ones playing Adrian College for that national championship. But I just think that the big stat for me that jumps off the page is this is the third time that the Flames, or that was the third time the Flames made the semifinals in yeah. 16 seasons. The second time they've done it in three years. But folks, that's all the time we have to talk Liberty hockey and NCAA hockey. When we come back, we're going to break down all of the games on the th- on. Well, today, not on Thursday, today, today. March 23rd, all the games that are happening in March Madness, we're going to break down those four games for about 10 minutes, then we'll break down the four games on Friday, including my Miami Hurricanes, who aren't even supposed to be here, folks. We're going to cover all that and a lot more when we come back. You're listening to the Press Box right here on 90.9 The Light. Hello, everybody, and welcome back into the Press Box right here on 90.9 The Light. It is currently almost 1045 this morning here in Lynchburg, Virginia. Nate, before we get into March Madness, will you plug our socials one more time for everybody? Give us a follow on Twitter. That's Press Box SP, the Press Box SP. You can go to our Instagram, which is the Press Box Pod, the Press Box Pod, and then feel free to email us at thepressboxpodcast at yahoo.com. Well, Nate, I can tell you right now, and Isaac, I'm really glad that Isaac Dillard is in the room today. March Madness is happening. The college basketball guru is sitting right to my right. Isaac, with the first game, number seven, Michigan State against number three, Kansas State, happening at 6.30 p.m. on TBS. And, folks, I can say it is sweet 16 time, baby. I mean, I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. Not just because my Hurricanes are in it. I'm going to say that a lot today. But I can tell you, I'm throwing up that U Friday, baby, playing a really good Houston Cougars team. But we're not here to talk about that right now. Isaac, I'm going to give you the floor. What does each team need to do to win this game between Michigan State and Kansas State? Yeah, I want to first off say this tournament has been absolutely mad. It lives up to the name. But as far as Michigan State and Kansas State, Michigan State, go as their bigs go. So if their bigs play well, they play well. Um, it's going to be really, really tough against this Kansas State team, but I think that's their key to win. And Kansas State just needs to control the pace and make Michigan play Kansas State's brand of basketball. If they speed up those bigs, I saw in their round of 64 game against USC, their bigs got tired and USC clawed back. And I could definitely see that happening in this game as well. Yeah, and – I was watching that USC game, too, and USC started off shooting horrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, they couldn't hit a shot if if they had a – I don't know what I'm trying to think of. If if they had a boat up there, it wasn't going to go in. I mean, they were just hitting the ball off the back iron a lot. Um, boat? Boat? What? A boat? A boat? I, I don't know. I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> I don't know. But Pretty big. I mean, the fact that USC was able to make it, I believe, like – a less than 10-point game at halftime, and they scored two points in the first, I believe it was like six minutes into the game, which was unbelievable. I definitely think that if Kansas State can tire their bigs, like you say, Isaac, I I, I think it can be an interesting game. With that being said, guys, Isaac, since you were talking about the keys of the game, Nate, we'll start with you. Go ahead and give us your prediction of the team who's going to win and how many you think they're going to win by. Michigan State. By Ooh, 20. Really? I like Michigan State. Okay. Ooh. Isaac, what do you say? I got K-State by 10. I think Noel and Johnson are going to go off. Yeah, I have K-State too. Not only for my sake, 
But just to, just hope left for my bracket. I need them to win, to be honest with you guys. I need them to go to the next round. I'm going to go K-State. I'm going to go K-State by eight. I don't think you're going to quite get that 10-point margin of victory. It's going to come down to the end. K-State's going to hit a couple foul shots because Michigan State bigs are going to be in foul trouble. They're going to be the ones fouling. K-State's going to pull it off. Moving on. Number eight, Arkansas against number four, UConn. UConn is a sleeper team this year. They play at 7.15 p.m. tonight on CBS. Isaac, Arkansas was a team that I believe finished 10th in the SEC. Mm -hmm. They had NFL draft picks all over the team. They didn't play, uh, not NFL draft, NBA draft. Holy cow. Folks, it's been a morning. But what does each team need to do to keep their season alive and move on to the Elite Eight? Yeah, Arkansas is the most I'm going to say the most athletic team in this tournament and I think they need to be able to use that elite athleticism in this game against UConn because UConn is very disciplined and is going to play some good defense on the flip side UConn needs to lock in and realize that they're not going to be the most athletic team but I think they're the most sound I think they have a better basketball IQ and they have more experience Um, so UConn needs to take advantage of the youth of Arkansas. Yeah, and and Nate, with this being said, when when you make your prediction, are you taking Arkansas? Are you taking UConn? I'm going UConn for the sake of my bracket, and I also think they're very solemnly athletically ability to win by five. Yeah, I I think you know I I want to say UConn, but I always like an upset. So you know what? There's this this March Madness feels like it's been the it's been the March Madness of upsets, kind of. Princeton's still in it. I didn't think they were good, they would be in it. Florida Atlantic is still in it. I didn't think they had a chance. So I'm going to take Arkansas by four against this really good UConn team. Guys, we got to move here. So I'm just going to read off the two teams. We're going to give our predictions. We're going to go. But Isaac, before I get down to Florida Atlantic against Tennessee, who you got versus UConn and Arkansas? Arkansas is coming off that win against Kansas, too, but I still got UConn. I think it's close. I got them winning by two. Cool, cool. Now moving on to number nine, Florida Atlantic against Tennessee. This is going to be at the 9 o'clock hour on TBS. Isaac, your good old Rocky Top boys are playing. Let's go, Vols. Good old Florida Atlantic team down from Miami, Florida. FAU's had a great run, but I I, I can agree with you. Tennessee's going to win by a lot, and Florida Atlantic's success is going to end here. Can we all agree? Yes, definitely. Nate, can we yeah. agree? Yeah. Cool. And moving on to the last game tonight, number three, Gonzaga, against number two, UCLA, at 945 on CBS. This is going to be a really good game, but guys, the only champion I have left, because I, I had Arizona winning it, <laughs> I, I, you can call me an idiot if you want to. doesn't matter to me. But I have UCLA in my second bracket winning it. So I am going to choose UCLA for my bracket sake. I feel like I feel like we're gonna be saying a lot of a lot of stuff about our brackets when we're making these picks. Well, I mean, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, even though I'm probably not gonna win any money, I mean, why not? Come on, man. Um I don't think it, well there there were no perfect brackets like on the second day. So oh. um But yeah, I have number two UCLA winning by six. UCLA by four. UCLA by four. Isaac? Yeah, I said UCLA wins it by less than 10 just because I think their offense is a little bit better and more consistent than Gonzaga's. All right, folks. Well, you've heard it from myself, Riley Klingman, Nathan McKinney, Isaac Dillard. Folks, we're going to take a really quick break. When we come back, we're going to give our predictions and give a little bit of a rundown on the Friday games, 
happening on March the 24th. A lot of really good games. Two one seeds are playing. A two seed is playing a three seed. A lot of exciting things going on here in the Sweet 16 in terms of the Friday game matchups. Folks, don't go away. You're listening to the Press Box right here on 90.9 The Light. Hello, everybody. Welcome back into the Press Box right here on 90.9 The Light. Folks, we have currently hit 10.52 a.m. here in Lynchburg, Virginia. We just have one more segment left and just a little bit more time left with you guys. Thanks so much again for taking a seat inside the Press Box with us. But before we get to the last bit of March Madness topics here, we've had a little bit of breaking news come through this morning And the first thing I want to start off by saying is Kim English signed a six-year deal to become Providence's next head basketball coach. He's coming from George Mason, and it's going to be a six-year deal with Providence. So Providence just lost their coach. I believe it was to... Wasn't Georgetown. It? Georgetown. Thank you. I was going to say Iona, Ed but that's that's not that, that that was no nowhere near right. And Isaac, you just found out some information about a pitcher from the World Baseball Classic. We were just talking about that a little while ago. A guy in Adam Wainwright. You said I believe it was an oblique injury, so he's going to be sidelined for the beginning of the season. Is that what you had said? It's a groin strain. Groin strain. Okay, yeah. groin strain. Well, a lot of these pitchers normally hurt their oblique. At least guys with long hair like Tyler Glass and Jacob yeah. Grom. But that's for another day. All right, Nate, Isaac, we're going to dive in real quick. I'm going to give you the opponents. We're going to give our predictions, and we're going to we're going to get out of here. Number five, San Diego State taking on number one, Alabama at 630 on TBS on Friday night. Nate, who do you have in this game? Alabama by five. I think it's going to be pretty close. Isaac? Yeah, I don't think that Bama hasn't been challenged, and I don't think the San Diego State team's built to challenge them. I got Bama by 15. Bama by 15. Okay. Well, I don't really want Alabama in this tournament because I don't like Alabama as a team. Um just I, I've I've never liked watching Alabama, you know, football, baseball, whatever, ha- what may have you. So I'm going to be pulling for San Diego State. And I'm going to take an upset. San Diego State by six. Moving on, Miami, the number five seed, taking on number one Houston, seven fifteen on CBS on Friday. Miami's not even really supposed to be here. The funny thing is, Miami beat Indiana in men's basketball to make it to the Sweet 16. Miami basketball for the women's defeated Indiana to make it to the Sweet 16. A little bit of a Cinderella story there, but we're not here to talk about that. Isaac, who do you have winning this game? Miami against Houston might be closer than people think. Yeah, I'm sorry, Riley, but Marcus Sasser is coming back probably fully healthy. So just because of that, I got Houston by four. I think it's going to be close. Nate, what says you? Miami by six. Miami by six. Well, you know, I wouldn't be a true fan if I didn't go with my squad. I think I think Isaiah Wong's going to have another big game. Yeah. I think it's going to be enough. I think Norchad O'Meara is going to have another 15 rebound plus performance. I think Isaiah Wong's got to put up at least 25 for these Canes to do well, and I'm going to take Miami by eight. Moving on, number 15, Princeton, taking on number 6, Creighton, at 9 p.m. on TBS. Nate, who do you have winning this game? Princeton, big upset by two. Isaac, what says you? Nah, I think their Cinderella magic runs out. Creighton by 10. Creighton by 10. You know, this is the one game that I always get tied up in because Princeton has been playing so well in the first two rounds. Creighton has also been playing well. But, Isaac, I'm going to have to agree with you. This 
Wow. Words today, man. The Cinderella story for Princeton is going to end here against Creighton. I don't know if I'm going to go as far as 10. I'm going to go as far as 15. You know what? I've been saying 6, 8, and 4 enough today. I'm going to go Creighton by 15. And Isaac, I'm going to start with you on this last game because you were telling me about it before we hopped on. Number three, Xavier against number two, Texas. You're telling me that Xavier doesn't stand a chance. Yeah, I got Texas winning it all, but Xavier's played Kennesaw State and Pitt. Two very low. They haven't really been challenged, and they really didn't look good in either of those games. So that's why I got Texas. I think they will play up to Texas, but I still got Texas by seven. Yeah, I have Texas winning this game as well, and Xavier didn't even look good against Marquette. Kennesaw State. Well, they they yeah. played Marquette for the Big East oh, yeah. uh, championship game, yeah. and Xavier didn't look very good in that one either. I, I think they lost that game by fifteen plus, and Marquette is Marquette Marquette is, was already bounced out of the tournament, right? Yes, they were a two seed, but they did get bounced. So, but yeah, I, I, I'm gonna agree with you, Isaac. I don't think that Xavier necessarily has the bigs to compete with this Texas team, and also th- th- this Texas team has shown that they don't really need their former head coach, Chris Beard, to have success. Mm-hmm. And they're able to bring success to this team no matter what. Nate, what says you about this prediction? Hook them, Texas by seven. All right, folks. Well, you've heard it here from Nate McKinney, Isaac Dillard, myself, Riley Klingman, here on the Press Box. Folks, we got a lot of events going around Liberty Campus this weekend. Liberty Baseball back home to play Austin P for a three-game series. Liberty Softball is back home. Nate, can you help me out? I can't remember who exactly they're playing. This weekend they're playing. I believe it's FGCU. Yeah. Yes, I am not. I'm yes, not you're 100%. 100%. 100%. Really? I'm, I'm right? Okay. Look at that. Uh, so, yeah, softball's playing FGCU. Doubleheader on Saturday, one game on Sunday. Um, make sure you guys tune in to 90.9 The Light. You can hear Nick Pierce calling the baseball games. I'll be in studio on Friday night working the board, pushing the buttons for Nick Pierce. But, folks, make sure you guys come out to those games if you can. And, folks, I'm Riley Klingman, Nathan McKinney, Isaac Dillard. We hope you guys have a great rest of your Thursday, great rest of your afternoon. Hope you guys have a great Easter as it's coming right around the corner. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Press Box, and God bless.